1: Well, hello, it's Chris Evans here with a special edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast from Sky with Virgin Radio with our pals at Sky featuring legendary Hollywood director Ron Howard with some tales from his incredible new book, The Boys, A Memoir of Hollywood and Family. This is a highly recommended five out of five read from me to you. Seriously, you cannot go wrong with this book.
0: In front of the camera or behind, our next guest delivers the goods every single time. His new book, The Boys, A Memoir of Hollywood and Family. Family is out now and here to tell us more is the oscar-winning toast of tinseltown it's happy days indeed with the one and only ron howard good morning ron <laughs> good morning good how you
2: doing <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm already bowled over by that intro <laughs> i don't know if i can recover from that but let's no, try
1: you're more than deserving of it right um, i'm going to cut to the chase straight away i devoured your book I, I love you anyway and i love your movies and i love happy days i wasn't so much aware of the Andy griffith show which we'll get on to in a moment or two right. but the book Is awesome, my friend. Thank you. It is awesome. Uh, 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 Right, we'll cut to the chase. Okay. Okay. I've never interviewed, I don't think I've ever met anybody who's under monkey
2: uh well <laughs> by the way you wouldn't own a monkey today uh that no was very i've much already that pointed that
1: several times uh, yes. on your behalf before you it, yes, came yes, on yes, yeah, however you
2: pet. have owned a monkey well, I have what owned. what was a monkey. it like a woolly monkey uh sugar was great and my wife cheryl and her dad were kind of eccentric eccentric uh, uh pet owners um uh, and uh in, in in those days anteaters uh armadillos yeah, 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 yeah. uh and they actually had a also had a woolly monkey, and uh, we found this one who was sickly because why? Because she'd been grabbed by a poacher and not very and not taken care of very yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, Cheryl, fell in love with this little monkey. knew how to nurse her, and we did. And so, so we got the monkey and went. She was our uh, she was our pet for you know instead of getting a dog, you know how the couple gets the dog yeah, before yeah. they get married uh-huh. and has the kids. Well, for us, it was a little woolly monkey, which used to terrify uh to some extent people on the on the set of happy days because occasionally i would bring the monkey <laughs> And Sugar was, you know, she was fine, but she could be a little noisy, and she would leap from one shoulder to the other. People yeah, yeah. had to tolerate that.
1: Because there's that phrase, isn't there? You know, sometimes when one of your work colleagues is not having a great day, say, oh, so-and-so's got a monkey on the back today. <laughs> but you really did have a I monkey. Did, on your I did, I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, what's interesting, the book, the, by the way, the book is a masterclass. It's a very gentle, but very profound. It wears its profundity very gently, a masterclass on... Hollywood as a workplace, and that's not normalizing it because I know you love what you do, mm. and you, you've always been fascinated by by the whole by the whole of show business, not just the movies. Okay. But it is about this kid who, at the age of four, got this job on this TV show, um, and you know, and you were you were so famous, so young. I didn't know this uh, mm. till till I read your book, Ron. Just just Ted, just, if you don't mind, just give people the highlights of the first sort of four till twelve, first seven formative years of you in, on, on television, mostly.
2: Well. But, you know, basically, as I talk about in the book, uh, you know, I had I had to learn to write in order to sign autographs. Yeah. So the the show was an immediate success in the U.S. This is the
1: Andy Griffith Show. The Andy Griffith what Show. What
2: was it? Very homespun show about a small town in North Carolina. Yeah. Where, which is where, where Andy Griffith, you know, was born and raised. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, had, he had a it, just a, 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 f- a funny, oddball collection of townspeople. Right. And he was a sheriff. He was the sheriff of the town. Yeah, and he played his and son, and also the justice of the peace. Right. And I was his son. He was a single father. Right. Uh, had a fun. Don Knotts played his hysterical uh, deputy, yeah. who was so nervous and so anxious that he was only allowed to have one bullet. And he had to keep it in his in his pocket, and he wouldn't let him actually have a loaded gun, uh, and uh, <laughs> um, and uh, so it 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 was a it was pure Americana through the filter of Andy Griffith, who yes wanted humor and comedy, but also wanted a kind of honesty. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't broad, it wasn't really zany. It was very grounded. And I think it was a fantastic training ground for me, not only in the way that the show unfolded and the way it was created every week, but it was also the the tone on the show because there was a lot of laughter. It was very playful, but there was also a lot of hard work and Success yeah. and 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 it was uh, it was a tr- you know it was a tremendous success.
1: So it's hard work and heart. And, and your mum and dad. Who it, but this book is a love letter to your mum and dad. and to uh, your wife actually, uh, yeah. and, and to to Clint your brother, and, and back from him to you because you write it between. You. It's the Cain and Abel in many ways well, yeah. <laughs> of, of, uh, of cinematic and, and television and showbiz biographies. It's beautifully written. It's beautifully composed and put together. And I know it went through many many drafts. Right. Um, uh, and but you can't tell as all the best edited things yeah. uh, are. Are. But um, love let to your mum and dad. Your dad um, was, he was not, uh, he was a jobbing actor, but he was so committed. He was such a fan of the industry. Yeah. Um, because of yours and Clint's ultimately uh, success as kids, because at one point you were, your show was number one and the show Clint was on was number two in the That's US, right. which That's is right. mental. It's yeah. mad. No, it was pretty, it was pretty wild.
2: Well, the thing is that, you know, our parents were really the outliers. Yeah. I mean, they they were from the heartland, the Midwest. He was for dirt, from a dirt farm, basically, you yeah. know. And and uh, uh, and my mom came from a little tiny town, Duncan, Oklahoma, and where her dad was the the, the town butcher, you know. And and yet they had these dreams that they could make it in show business. And and they had no business harboring these dreams. Uh, and they kind of ran away together to to do this thing. I mean the whole I'm sure it just mortified their their families <laughs> that they, you know at nineteen and twenty they were taking this kind of bohemian leap, you know, and but they they did it. They changed the course of the family history. And my daughter Bryce Dallas Howard. She she reads the introduction for the boys. Uh, you know, I mean, I, she wouldn't have found her way in the business had it not been for the courage and the and the and the craziness uh, of our parents and their own love story. So part of this, fr- from our point of view, was. Yeah, let's look back at what it was like to be involved in television in the 60s and 70s. Let's, let's, let's share those anecdotes with people and let's be honest about it, the ups and downs of the whole thing. But it is an opportunity to, to actually tell this family story because the way they guided us, the decisions they made were, um, you know, they were, uh, they were pretty offbeat they they were they were going to the beat of their own drum, and we were the beneficiaries of that. And so we thought it was kind of worth sharing their homespun logic their sensibility, you know, along with telling hopefully a lot of funny entertaining stories about our, our life growing up.
1: So you're on the Andy Griffith show, uh, you're four, you're then you're five, then you're six and that's how age works, we know all that um, <laughs> and you can eventually begin to read scripts because you couldn't at the beginning and then um, your dad who was this genius sort of uh, subconscious acting coach for you and your bro and anybody who came within his orbit uh, and you stuck around and the show was a hit for seven years um, and then you were off for a while and then, you know, um, there was sort of uh, unconscious pilot for Happy Days which originally wasn't called that it was called something
2: else it was, it was, an, it was a spin-off episode uh, of Love American Style and, uh, and, and it didn't sell uh, it's
1: called a new family in
2: town or something. Yeah, uh, like uh, well, they they called it a few different things. the it, 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 it was it was about getting the first television on the block. So for it was wild. It was called the first TV, and then it was called Love and the Happy Days. Finally, right. is where is what is is where that landed. Gary Marshall was the creator of that show, and uh, and I was cast. And uh, it was a good job. I did it while I was still in high school, you know, in my last year in high school. And famous. Well, yeah. I mean, the Andy Griffith Show had been a huge hit. So I was well known for that. I then did a television series after the Andy Griffith Show with Henry Fonda, which was a failure called The Smith Family. But it was great to get to work with the great Hank Fonda. And I learned so much from him. And then I was accepted to film school, um, a little worried about the draft because we still had conscription service. You were
1: more than a little worried about it. You were petrified. I I? was
2: petrified about... uh, I did not want to to particularly go to Vietnam, Um, nor did I want to flee the country. I was really uh, unsure as to what to do. And uh, Happy Days came along, and even though I'd been accepted to the University of Southern California Film School, which is my dream, my dream already existed to be a filmmaker, to be a director... And I'd been accepted, but the idea of this show came along, and I actually thought, wow, I have a feeling that if a major studio and a network has me under contract, they'll find a way to keep me out of Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> it was not a very sophisticated line of thinking, um, and uh, and ultimately it didn't matter because the show didn't sell, and, and, uh, and, and we finally got out of Vietnam. But it, it's odd to think that that fear that terror actually launched me in the direction of a of a show that would ultimately change my life
1: ultimately change your life and what's really interesting is you then being involved in the film right. that resurrected happy days well that's right
2: so the happy days pilot came and went shortly thereafter i was cast in in uh, american graffiti this George Lucas movie, pre-Star Wars, a twenty-eight-year-old George Lucas. Yeah, twenty-eight-year-old George Lucas, exactly. And and uh, uh, and that's where our friendship began, which was remarkable, and included uh, me working for him on the movie Willow, uh, and and more importantly, just a, a you know a long, great uh, friendship. But uh, uh, American Graffiti was this tiny, low-budget movie, but for me, it was a real coming-of-age story because now my parents weren't supervising me, I was over 18, I was on my own, we were shooting at night, I tell a lot of stories, you know, about that because, for, you know, for, for me, is I, it was that it was that sort of summer of trying to sneak into strip clubs and and and, uh,
1: and you were so underage, <laughs> I was so, I was completely underage, and you were baby faced anyhow. I, I,
2: I didn't last more than you know seconds. The bouncers got me out of there. I never, barely a glimpse, man. Yeah. Huh. Uh, but uh, but I tried. I took a shot, and uh, but that 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 movie was so special. Under George's direction and and you know his vision, so elevated that material, um, it was awesome as a aspiring filmmaker to be around it and sort of see it happening in a very unpredictable, unconventional way. It was sort of like the new cinematic sensibility was there on display for me, a kid of old Hollywood with very traditional foundation uh, of 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 sort of this methodical. Way of staging and shooting scenes, and graffiti just flipped all of that on its ear, and I was, uh, you know, enthralled by it. And then it was a huge success, and they the networks immediately said, "Oh, between Greece on Broadway, the movie hadn't been made yet, Greece on Broadway, um, uh, Sha Na Na at Woodstock, uh, you know, uh, this this American graffiti thing, we got to do the fifties, we got to do the fifties. And Gary Marshall said, "Well, you've got the same guy." who actually is in that movie in this pilot which was pretty good why don't we update it and, and what, uh, was t-
1: what was the what was the timeline there between per-
2: well pretty tight i mean i i mean so by the time i was 19 so i did a graffiti at 18 by the time i was 19 graffiti had been out and and I was I had to audition again for Happy Days, yeah, the, uh, uh, which was very upsetting for the for same
1: me. role for the
2: same role, which just Penningham. it's uh, you know look part of that period in time was me recognizing that it's a pretty damn rough business. Yeah, and you've I, been pretty protected up until that point. I, it was really a kind of a bubble uh, of success and childhood, you know, uh, and uh, and suddenly I was competing with a broader field
1: so had it not been for american graffiti happy day we would never have heard of Happy no, Days. it's as simple no, as that no, it wouldn't it? Have happened. and it's so bizarre that you're in both of them isn't it I, yeah and the timeline before american graffiti so the the original happy days whatever it was I did ha- that at 17 17 okay. did graffiti
2: at 18 and at 19 happy days was on uh, talk about the stars lining uh, up pal. and by the time i was 20 they were t- asking me to come to places like london
1: to promote our series, yeah, and unbelievable. I mean, what a tale! But still, at the back of your mind and deep within your heart, filmmaking, not acting.
2: Yeah, at that point, I knew I wanted to be a director. That was something that 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 really came to me through watching my dad, who never directed film but directed a lot of theater uh, and a sort of an improv work group that used to meet at our at our house. Uh, and so I so I was around that, but uh, but all of the All of the key directors on The Andy Griffith Show had been actors. And so they started, they planted the idea in my mind by the time I was eight or nine. And Ronnie, I bet you're going to wind up growing up to be a director. And by the time I had started Happy Days, as I said, I'd already been accepted to film school. I'd been making short films, Super 8 and um, 16 millimeter films, sometimes casting my brother. We tell a funny story uh, about the first really serious Super 8 movie that I made to, to actually be entered into a festival. And I was 16 at the time. And, uh, and I, I made it. It was a sort of a kind of an odd Twilight Zone, little three-minute film about a kid who wanders into a, Western, a an old Western town, a ghost town. And suddenly he's in contemporary clothes, but suddenly he pops, his, cho- his clothing changes, and he's He's a sheriff he's got a badge and he has to face a desperado <laughs> who my dad played and he looks over at a saloon girl and I recruited my then girlfriend Cheryl to play the saloon girl now wife uh, now wife yeah. and then uh, and then it, you know they have a shootout and then it all disappears and he wonders whether it really happened or not so it was all built around this kid you know and I, I had the opportunity to go to a back lot in Hollywood on a Saturday I would just snuck on but yeah. I knew they wouldn't throw me off and shoot this thing and uh we're, we're getting ready to shoot, and Clint, who's five years younger and was a very savvy, smart, hip kid, you know, and uh, he said, hey, I hear there's a cash prize, you know, involved here if you win anything, and I said, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's $150 if you win, it's 70, $75, uh, it, it's, no, it's, sorry, $300 if you win, $150 for second, and $75 for third, and um, he said... Uh, well, I feel like I need to have gross participation in this. You know, I'd say 50-50. What? I, said, I turned to Dad, and Dad said, I think he's kind of got you over a barrel. Clint said, yeah, you, you know, if, if you don't like the deal, maybe you can find some other 12-year-old kid who you can put in your little <laughs> short film. Uh, and Go find uh, another. <laughs> and we shot it. I'd, I entered it with a different name. I didn't want to use my own name. Uh, uh, I thought for better or worse... Uh, better to 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 not use my own name which and and uh I won I came in second and um, it was one hundred and fifty bucks. The check came, and Clint was there with his palm out. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, immediately. Uh, and uh, so he got his share, but he earned it.
1: I love the fact, because you do talk about the business quite a lot, and you talk about the money you were earning quite a lot, which I, you know, and I love it when people do that, because often in biographies, people shy away from it, and I never sort of understand why. Mm. Uh, because, you know, uh, it's, it's not distasteful, because it's part of the game, and it's part of the, and it explains often what the situations and the subcontext around certain environments. Especially the roller coaster, because, yeah. you know, you get on a show, you have a moment
2: or maybe if you're lucky, a few years of making this sort of outsized paycheck. For a kid. For, especially for a kid, yeah. but for anyone. And then, and then, it, and then it can evaporate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, those are the sort of the vicissitudes. It was the one thing that, that I continually am in awe of is the way our father, Rance, who was this journeyman actor, never gave up. It's not like he set his career aside to sort of coach and guide us. He did that, but he did it more as a father. He didn't think of that as his as his job. They did take a management fee. They took they took a third of what a normal manager would take because even then he said, "Well, at least two thirds of what I do is just what a father should do." Uh, is uh, you know, I, I have an opportunity to share something with you boys that you might be you know you might be able to use it, at the very least. He thought he was setting us up to understand achievement, to understand success in the, in the adult world. And, and he thought this was a rare opportunity for us to see that we actually had these capabilities. It, he saw it as a learning
0: opportunity more than anything. And...
2: I talk about this in the book, so does Clint. You know, we started out earning him, and he acknowledged it, but not with guilt, not with any attitude. I don't know how he did it. I really, I really don't know how he managed to separate these things yeah. in in such a logical way so that a young boy could understand that this is an opportunity, it's a moment, it's not permanent, but here's the reality of it. And just take things at face value and I think that that simple logic that approach has guided me for the rest of my life both creatively and also as a just as a citizen yeah
1: I, but I've always got that from you you know and you notoriously are from one of the happiest families in Hollywood in this this sh- you know often shark infested business um, it's one thing out earning your dad but it's another moment when you realize you're out you're earning your sporting heroes Oh, yeah,
2: you're talking about well uh, yeah, I was a huge baseball fan then. I still am, and uh, and 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 the the greatest star of the game at that time was a left-handed fastball uh, pitcher named Sandy Koufax, and uh, you know the star of my beloved Dodgers. Uh, his cohort was another great right-handed pitcher named Don Drysdale. The two of them were just dominant and awesome. Uh, I idolized them both, and. They went into a contract negotiation. And this is before the era of free agency and sports agents and that sort of thing. And these guys had to fight for a contract every single year. And I realized what Sandy Koufax, the number that he was fighting for was a lot of money. It was over $100,000. But I started thinking about it, and it was late in, you know, the Andy Griffith show. And I was earning a couple of thousand dollars a week for the show, but I was also getting these residuals. We were doing thirty some shows a year, and I sat down and I did the math, and I said, "Oh my gosh! Between my salary and residuals, I'm out earning Sandy Koufax." How old were you? I was twelve, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I and I I literally I, it was a weird so, paradox because I was so cool. there was a I was proud of it. But I was also a little bit surprised. Surprised, <laughs> and I and I felt like there was an injustice here, and there was. Well, by there God, there was, was an injustice.
1: There was absolutely. But as you found out later, you've already alluded to. You know, you you were in a bubble. Um, yes. Okay, so uh, let's fast forward to so much we could talk about here. As you can see here, there are many avenues we could turn down with every uh, conversation. So, so you go to Happy Days. You are the star of the show. The show is built around the character of Richie Cunningham, and then Arthur F- Fonzarelli is is introduced in the first episode he has six lines yeah. and ultimately he ends up stealing the show and it runs for over a decade and you do and he becomes one of your best friends and he's the godfather to to your kids but still you know, yes. to your, all your kids and you are bestest of mates as you all were it was a very happy show uh happy days and that came across and it couldn't have lasted so long had it not been and you can sense that now when things happen when this in a theater or on a radio show like this one we all get on and it comes across and you can't fake it and, and th- there's no chance of that however there was this moment uh, when you're in the car and you go for a drive with Henry Winkler, your best mate, your co-star on Happy Days, uh, and there's it's not an awkward conversation to be... Well, it could have been, right. but um, what's also brilliant about the book is the way your dad used to handle potentially awkward conversations. Uh, oh, yes. And there's yeah. loads of those. <laughs> and you took a leaf out of your dad's book. He said, Henry, we need to have a chat. I love right. you like a brother, however. Right.
2: Well, it, it was... Um, Henry had gone into the show, and he, and he was already a Broadway actor, not a successful one, but at the level where he was being cast in Broadway yeah. shows. He hadn't had a hit yet. And he yet. was very
1: consummate, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, and he was, uh, yeah, Yale Drama School, eight years younger than me, older than me, sorry, and a kind of an immediately a big brother uh, of sorts. You know, we just connected. and um, But his character took off, which creatively made a world of sense. But I began being sort of pushed to the back of the line in terms of things like compensation or respect from the networks. Uh, there's a story that I, I wrote about in the book, a silly thing, but it had to do with Christmas gifts. <laughs> and as the, as the Fonz took off, the network decided... That, you know, a great gift for Henry Winkler would be a video cassette player. Almost before they were invented. B- yeah, I mean, everybody was salivating about, and we thought, wow, he got a video cassette where, uh, you know, ours must be on the way. Those things were worth so much money then. You know, they just cost thousands then. And we all got um, uh, uh, unpersonalized wallets, just nice wallets, uh, you know, but uh, from a Beverly Hills store. But I mean, it, it it, it wasn't a VCR machine. Paled in comparison. <laughs> Paled in comparison. And the cast sort of rallied around this issue. They were pretty upset about it. Not again at Henry, no. Uh, but, and Henry was a little embarrassed, but he was going to keep the VCR machine, you know, uh, and uh, the player. And uh, uh, I became like, kind of like the shop foreman. And they came to me. In fact, Tom Bosley said, you know, you're the, you're number one on this show. You're the top build you should call the network. And he put me up to it, and I did. And I called in and lodged this complaint, saying we're we're a very tight ensemble. You don't understand what you've done here. Yes. This is, you know, I know Christmas gifts shouldn't matter, but of course they do. (laughs) I mean, I was only 21, but I had this very sort of a a fairly mature conversation with this poor executive who was catching the flack for me. I didn't lose my head. I kept it calm. And I said, but I am going to be sending my wallet back to you, just so you know. And And you uh, did. I did. I have a feeling I'm the only one. (laughs) I wonder what he did with it. Uh, well, sorry, Henry still has the VCR machine, he says. No uh, way. Uh, It's an antique now. But no, the, look, it, it was creating a potential division. And it was creating, for me, um, a sense of insecurity. And conflict as well. And, yeah, and conflict. And b- mostly because I was hearing about it from the press all, constantly. And, you know, how does it feel? The nub being that somebody's stealing your show. That's right. How do you feel about that? They were trying to stir up, you know, in the teen magazines yeah. and, and whatever, uh, you know, the sort of that kind of controversy. That wasn't happening, but I definitely was feeling like I was being rele- relegated to, uh, you know, uh, a sort of a secondary player on a show that I really took on because I, you know, I wanted the challenge of being the lead of a show yeah. and, I, and, I, and, and everything that went with that. I had this conversation with Henry um, and with never an expectation that he was going to sort of not get the contract that he could, he could possibly negotiate. Uh, later I did renegotiate. He was very supportive of that. And ultimately I left the show when my contract was up because I had become the director. During the off-season, I had started making films. This was my dream, and I found that I absolutely loved it. And I had this, uh, this moment that I describe in the book where I, where I called, and I said, you know, I've been in a contract negotiation, my contract's up, but I've decided to leave the show. And uh, the first person that I talked to was, was, uh, was Henry.
1: On set. He was on set. you were elsewhere. It is a fascinating story. So what, what age were you when you left Happy Days? Uh, 26. Yeah, and you'd, I mean, you'd live many showbiz lifetimes within I, I, that. So, And then you became a full-time director from the yes. age of 26. Now, I didn't know that, Ron. You know, I mean, I, I know, of course I know loads about you, but I didn't know that that's when you started. Yeah. And so therefore, it's no surprise when you, you look back at your filmography and it's full of amazing, wonderful things. We're almost out of time, as you can probably sense. I could talk to you all day about this. Well, thank uh, you. This book is highly recommended for anybody in this business, whether you're in radio or TV or newspapers or publishing or movies or... or Or whatever, but even if you're not and you're just a fan, this is a fantastic Cain and Abel esque story of two brothers who whose mum and dad basically gave them every single opportunity they possibly could. Um, But let's finish with a a couple of things. Um, First of all, as a as a child actor, um, one of the things it seems to me (laughs) that may still be a trigger for you might be the smell of sweat. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, we did talk about that. Well, there's you know, a, there's a, at least there's the best part of a chapter on the different sweat you had to encounter <laughs> from adult actors who you were co-starring <laughs> with for various
2: reasons. Look, there's a there, there was a lot about looking back, and I'm not neither Clint or I, you know, are the types that necessarily are terribly nostalgic about the past or, or spend a lot of time looking back. So it was an exercise that, that did sometimes turn sensory. Uh, and, you know, when you're a little kid, you're six <laughs> years old, often you wind up in these in your, 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 your co-actor's arms. You know, somebody's hugging you. Uh, sometimes it's, a, you know, an ample bosom you're being pressed up against, as Clint writes about. Uh, but, but in an era where there was a lot more drinking and smoking going on yeah. than there is today... I mean I remember how pungent
1: various <laughs> vintages of sweat you described them there I, are main, uh, There's at least to, you, 5 you, or 6 different ones You
2: got to read the book about Johnny Cash and Gig Young and some of these people
1: Yeah and Johnny Cash is, as I say different vintages so you had yeah. alcoholic um the alcoholic sweats the come down sweats yeah. you had lighting sweats when the lights were too bright for various yeah. candle um, um, uh, powers, uh, but then Johnny Cash. They that was a nervous sweat going. That on was there. that was flop sweat. I mean, you can. Is that what you, you call it? Flop sweat.
2: Uh, yeah, he was. He, you know, I mean, you could just tell. I mean, I even remember him wanting to be really good in this movie. It was a tiny low budget. So how old
1: movie. was How old were you? What was the movie? It, uh,
2: it was called uh, Five Minutes to Live. Right. I think it got retitled Run Stranger Run. It was not a good movie. Okay. Uh, a very low budget. Okay. Very low budget. Um, and it was basically about somebody who. Uh, a, a, a guy who's on the run, a criminal on the run, who uh, is being chased by the police. And he he basically uh, breaks into a house and holds the family hostage. And so it was this kind of uh, uh, showdown, kind of a drama. And uh, uh, great guy. I mean, wonderful, really hardworking. And even I, at five or... I was five at the time I could just sense <laughs> That he was nervous Did you know
1: do you, are you, Were you aware of his legend By no, the point?
2: no, right. No No I, No I didn't This is the peak of his powers Wasn't it Yeah uh, I mean, he was a huge star. I didn't, I didn't know, and, and but uh, you know, later my dad explained to me that he was a big music star and that he was that this was an opportunity to act. Hey, later Johnny Cash became a really good actor. Uh, you know, he, he maybe he, a little less sweaty. Uh, I, lot, <laughs> I have a feeling. Flops. I have a feeling I he love knew how to sweat. he knew how to stroll through it. Look, it it was fascinating to look back. It's it, it was it was meaningful to us. I think, to share the story of our parents. Because again, it's a first and foremost in our mind, um, you know, a, a, an unusual and unique family journey yeah. that we shared uh, together. And, uh, and, the, and the, the, the reaction we've been getting from readers has honestly just been incredibly gratifying. Well, count me in. Count well, me thank in. Thank you. It's
1: awesome. And um, just before you go to round off and again, you, you are sort of veering towards it there as a love letter to your mum and dad and to the business and to life. It's a love letter to life, isn't it? Mm. It's a love letter to life. Opportunity and hard work mm. is what this is, I think. And, um, you know, you, you've turned out to be a great dad yourself. You know, you had an amazing mum and dad. Have you, got, have you got any advice, any sage advice for the rest of us, for younger mums and dads listening, just how to be with your kids? I, th- I, think, it's,
2: I think there's something about honesty and um, not overwhelming uh, kids with negativity but with with real honesty, you were talking about my father and his willingness to just sort of to sort of explain things. Uh, I, I I write about wandering into a men's room uh, next to the soundstage where we were doing the TV show, and at that era in particular, there was all kinds of gr- gross, graphic graffiti. Nice
1: alliteration. Nice. I wonder if I even going to go with my that? My first poems, which we won't <laughs> go
2: into this morning, yeah. but uh, as we've all seen, yes, we've all seen them. Yeah, but you know, as a six-year-old, I would say, what is this? And instead of him saying, oh, don't think about that, don't worry about yeah. it, instead of putting me in that kind of bubble, he said, well, let's have a look. Yeah, we clear his throat. <clears> throat> okay. And he explained it. Yeah. And and uh, uh, and there was something about giving, giving Clint and I the respect to believe that we could understand if he would patiently take the time to explain. And I think there's something about the patience, and and the and and inclusion with your children, that um, was powerful. Also strict, uh, you know, including spankings, which we talk about. I mean, you didn't cross that line. This was this was mom and dad's household. Yeah, we weren't running the show, yeah, yeah. but it was a loving one, and and within it, we felt heard, and we felt respected. So it kind of always comes back to communication, and I think that kind of guidance. Because what's a parent's job? It's to help your kids learn how to cope. Now, my brother later went through a lot of struggles, yeah. and my parents witnessed that. And the, I think in a lot of ways they did their very best parenting, you know, sort of after Clint was out of the house, but still needed that support and Yeah, love.
1: and you end up t- completely different as kids as well. But the thing about parenting is we're all rookies. We're all rookies on the job. Um, we it. always, we Even, you know, no matter, regardless That's of that. That's why I'm it. reluctant to give advice. No, I know. But because just, every family's different. Yeah, but you seem to have absolutely nailed it. Um... If this weekend, after our chat today, people are tempted, and why wouldn't they be, to watch a Ron Howard movie, um, which one would you... Oh, it kind of... You know, I've tried to work in a lot of different genres and styles. And you really have.
2: And so I, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to make well, a suggestion. Well, give us two extremes then.
1: Yeah. Let's, let's go... Can I throw Parenthood in there?
2: Well, Parenthood, uh, you know, is a movie that I'm that I'm very proud of. It's extremely personal it was made at a time when i was really living through you know a lot of the anxieties and the sort of hilarious uh, misadventures uh, that we depicted in the movie Parenthood's a movie I'm very proud of Apollo 13 I'm very proud of if you're interested in motorsports Rush is a movie that I'm really By proud the way, of I
1: can't believe that was 2013 that I, seems like last week to me I, I,
2: well thank you it was uh, you know that's one that I was really proud of uh, I keep hearing from Star Wars fans that Solo uh, is, a, is a is a, you know is, is, is I don't know how you have a cult movie when you make a Star Wars film but that seems to be what's kind of happened with the movie Solo, on the
1: George Lucas connection again.
2: Uh, once again, you're a lucky um, ducky, aren't you? Yeah, you... Apollo 13 is a movie I'm also very proud oh, of,
1: and your so. mum's in it, and yeah. she's brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, I th- we're done. Like you know, uh, well done, pal. Thank you. Congratulations on a gra- great to talk to you on a morning. great life. Uh, thank you. You must be so pleased. Uh, still working on it. Still working on it. See, now that's a a typical Howard attitude. And that's how you get where you are. As Ashton Kutcher said in that brilliant acceptance speech we we played a couple of times, you know, um, opportunities to me, they just look like hard work. And the harder you work, you could say the luckier you get, but the harder you work, the more opportunities seem to present themselves. Well, we're done, pal. Thank you. That was Ron Howard, his new book, The Boys, a memoir of Hollywood and family written between him and his brother, Clint, is out now. If you want a glimpse behind the Hollywood curtain, I cannot recommend this book highly enough. It doesn't get any better. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review it and send it to at least one of your friends.